The Colorado Business Roundtable unapologetically tells the story that business is a force for good in our community, featuring conversations with thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. Hi, welcome to this edition of Seat at the Table, brought to you by Colorado Business Roundtable. This is Debbie Brown. And we're excited to bring guests to our community of academia, business, and community and government that talk about pressing issues that face Colorado today, issues like workforce, infrastructure, tax and regulatory issues. And today we're really zoning in on workforce. And I'm incredibly pleased to be able to introduce Dr. Mordecai Brownlee to the show today. Welcome, Dr. Brownlee. Thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate it, Debbie. And you're still semi-new to Colorado. So I'm going to give a little bit of your bio for the folks who are listening in to really do justice to um, you being our guest today. I want to let folks know um, that you're the sixth president of the Community College of Aurora in Colorado. And in addition, um, you publish frequently, including serving as a columnist for Ed Surge, and also teach for Lamar University within the College of Education and Human Development, and also serve as an international keynote speaker. I found that really cool and, and not surprising to hear that about you. Most recently, uh, Dr. Mordecai has been featured on a number of local, state, and national platforms, including the American Association of Community Colleges, uh, Community College Journal, NASPA Leadership Exchange, EdUp Experience, and EdTech Magazine. This year, just recently, Dr. Mordecai was named 40 Under 40 by the prestigious Denver Business Journal and the Community Leader of the Year by the Aurora Chamber of Commerce. In 2022, he was also featured by Diverse Issues in Higher Education Magazine as a new school leader representing the next generation of college presidents. So once again, welcome, Dr. Mordecai. Thank you so much, Debbie, and thank you for what you do. You bet, you bet. And part of what I do is so cool. I work with leaders like you who are making all the difference on workforce issues in Colorado. And we know that when we collaborate as not just the business sector, but academia, community and government leaders that all collaborate together, typically we find that the outcomes are better, that we that collaboration, um, you know, the tug and pull of different backgrounds and ideas make for better policy. Absolutely. Well, certainly those synergies are, are, are needed, have been historically needed, and certainly are needed now as we're all facing a lot of disruption uh, and essentially demographic shifts and you name it. So there's just a, a need and a call for us to uh, promote our advancements of uh, partnerships to really transform lives and uh, excited to call you a partner and supporter of our college. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before I before I jump into kind of a, one of my first questions for you, I want to just think of, I was just thinking about before we got on of how we first met. And we had actually, I know now you're thinking, oh no, I know where she's going with this, but <laughs> we, we were in a meeting together that, that the business roundtable pulled together, actually leaders of institutions of higher ed in Colorado and leaders of companies, you know, some global companies, the market presidents. And it was to have a closed door, sort of honest conversation and collaboration with these two sort of verticals, if you will. You really, uh, bought a fan in me from the very minute uh, you started talking about your personal mission, your professional mission. And I remember thinking, looking at you across the room and we hadn't met yet, your passion was just inspiring. And I thought, I need to go meet that that <laughs> leader. Who's he? Who's, the, who's Dr. Mordecai from Texas? So um, I just want to kick it off and say, I've been a fan from day one and I'm excited to be able to help share your story, your passion, what you're doing here in Colorado with other people who might not know you yet. But 
pick us off with that as I just sort of threw a real big um, fun memory at you, but tell us about you. What's your story? What's your passion? How did you end up becoming, first of all, welcome to Colorado, but how did you end up being in the seat you're in today? Well, I'll tell you, it definitely was not a part of my initial plans. Uh, my mother uh, raised me by herself. She was a uh, K-12 school teacher. Um, and I'm originally born in Toledo, Ohio, but was raised uh, right outside of Houston, Texas, in a place called Humble, Texas. And so uh, my mother, when she couldn't find a babysitter for me, would sit me at the back of her classroom. She had a deal with the principal. That if you want me teaching, he's going to have to be in the classroom because I can't find anybody to watch him. Uh, and so I still to this day uh, affectionately call her teacher mommy. But uh, I think that it planted some seeds for a number of years to, that one day I would be an educator myself. And so I didn't know that would be my path. I tested at developmental levels, Debbie. So the last thing I ever thought I would be as a college president uh, and failed developmental math and was working overnight shifts uh, at the uh, airport and uh, doing different things uh, just to pay my way through school and, and survive. So with all that said, you know, it, it's amazing where the journey will take you. Uh, last thing I thought is where I would be is here. But one of the beautiful things that began to happen uh, over the course of my journey was is I had that light bulb moment where it all made sense. And you begin to really find that synergy between your purpose and your interest. And it just catches momentum and catches fire. And that's what happened in my case. And when I realized uh, how the light bulb and that transformation occurred for me, it then became my quest to figure out how to make that transformation happen for other people. And so just over the course of uh, working in higher education, different jobs from a part time to working in housing to working in academic advising and the whole gamut, uh, you kind of you find yourself in uh, some some amazing opportunities. And so now I've uh, been uh, president of Community College of Aurora for roughly a year and 10 months now. Uh, but we're home. Uh, we feel like Colorado's home for us. We have two young children, my wife and I, whom I met in community college. And uh, we have two young children. We're going to call Aurora home, Colorado home, and uh, really do this work, uh, certainly, because there's a lot of opportunity for this this particular community. Yeah, I love, I just heard more about your story that I didn't know before and and love um, that that's probably made you the man you are today to some degree. You've had to be scrappy. You've had to figure it out. Not unlike your students who... Probably as well. They have to be scrappy. They have to figure it out. Um, well, to what you said about the light bulb was, and I and I have had some light bulbs in my life. It's an interesting term, but was there something that was real pivotal for you in terms of that light bulb moment? Absolutely. I didn't see it at the time, Debbie. I was so I was working at uh, Bush Intercontinental Airport, uh, trying to pay my way through school. Uh, I was breaking down trucks, mail trucks, and and doing all of that that processing overnight. They let us go. They let they laid us off. They essentially said, hey, you know, we don't need the help anymore. This was more of a seasonal help. And I remember at that point really asking, OK, well, what jobs can I take on? And uh, I did different things, different odd jobs. Uh, and someone says, well, look, man, you probably will qualify for what's called work study. And work studies essentially where through financial aid, you're able to essentially work for your scholarship. Um, and so it all depends on your qualifying factors. And I certainly met those. Um, and, and so I took on some work study jobs at the, at the college, at the community college. And so I flipped burgers in the cafeteria and I ran lights and sound at the theater department. And I uh, this little thing called VHS players. I used to roll the VHS players and two televisions into the classroom uh, during uh, media day. And so the one thing I didn't account for during these different jobs was that I would begin to receive mentorship in a way that where I had never received it. That was the pivotal point because people saw something in me that I didn't see in myself uh, and they began to nurture that and they began to say, try this. We 
you know, we, we recommended you for this and go here. We're all thinking about you and just creating these different exposures to where not only did I feel valued, but I began to understand the value of myself. And I think that that's where the light bulb began to happen because I was able then to understand my purpose and where interest and purpose really met. And that's the light bulb. I began to try things I never tried before in regards to studying styles. I ended up learning about myself that I'm not someone who can study in quiet spaces. I have to be around noise. So if you come in my office right now, music is playing. Uh, and, and, and I even write, you know, certain things in, in noisy spaces. I'm not, I'm not a quiet room guy. I ended up finding out that, um, I can't study in my bedroom. You know, at the time, I always used to try to study through high school in the bedroom. It doesn't work. Um, next to the bed, I want to go to sleep, you know? So same, just, same. I'd be, I'd be asleep in two minutes, especially if I had to read something. Yeah. You know, so you just try different things and the light bulb mm-hmm. goes off and it all works and it came together. Yeah. I love that. I, I actually had a similar moment, I think in, you know, in different parts of my life. But I remember that a teacher specifically when I was in high school told me that I had potential Mm. and it changed the way that I perceived myself. It changed the way that I perceived what I could accomplish and what I thought about college and what I might want to do for a vocation. And it's, it's interesting how the right word, the right person who invests just a little bit can make such a difference. And, and I see that in what you're doing with, what you're doing on social media, how that might be such an interesting way to feed into the lives of your students, but yet it even goes beyond that. So it seems like you're already paying that back in terms of how you're investing in the lives of other. Your your passion and your purpose are really well well defined. Well, you know, I believe Debbie as an educator, there's the in classroom education and then there's the out of classroom education and so I, I don't think that we should ever create these parameters on when we stop educating and so social media is a classroom in itself and so how can then we uh have different exposures through through post and video and photo to be able to inspire and cause reflection and just continue to work towards passion and purpose uh, because certainly uh all of our students and community uh, members all need to be inspired to be a part of the change that our societies greatly need. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great segue to what you're doing at the Community College of Aurora. Tell tell us more about what's going on there. I was just at a groundbreaking recently celebrating all the good work, but, but give us kind of the big picture viewpoint. Yeah, so right now I'll tell you all that we have two locations, uh, Center Tech Campus, which is, uh, our, I would say, our home base, along with our Lowry location, which sits on the Bracht Lowry Air Force Base. Uh, and we have online instruction as well. I would say that we serve uh, unduplicated of roughly uh, 8,700 students um, in the fall and uh, in the spring, uh, roughly, uh, you know, 8,200. Uh, but, you know, you were there for the groundbreaking. We're really excited. Our new STEM Power Mechanic Applied Technologies Building uh, as we think about, as we talked about at the very beginning of this, the various disruptions that are occurring uh, in our communities through industry. Uh, and uh, we want to be a part of the next era of uh, workforce development in this community. And because of that, we serve the reality that we serve uh, the most amount of diverse students uh, in the state of Colorado. We're the most diverse college. Uh, over 60% of our students, students of color, over 50% of our students are first generation. We see it to be a strong responsibility that we have to be a part of social and economic mobility uh, for the communities that we serve. And the groundbreaking that I went to, it seemed like all of Aurora was there. I mean, you had the who's who of community leaders, business, academia, partners, you know, you've, you've, you've already, I think, um, just created some great excitement about what's going on um, at your institution. 
And I and I hear you because you're looking at opportunities of the future to make sure that your students are prepared. What are the biggest challenges to that? If you were hoping that the private sector would lean in, what would you want us to know about those challenges and how can we be helpful to you? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things, and this is where we first met, Debbie, having this conversation about the speed of change. I think that we have a responsibility that we need to communicate now more than ever to our industry partners. Um, that uh, higher education in many ways has been too slow. We've been too slow to change. We've been too slow to respond of what industry has needed us to do and be uh, to be able to pivot accordingly. And unfortunately, as you think about over the past 10 years, uh, industry has just essentially began to say, well, how do we work around higher education rather than seeing them as a partner? And so we've seen not just in Colorado, uh, but nationwide, this downward expansion uh, from industry directly into the high school pipelines and pathways. Um, and and, and it, because of the, the the vast workforce needs and challenges that are there. Um, and so I think that, number one, just communicating and making sure that our industry partners, uh, legislators know that, hey, we are committed to speed of service, speed of response, uh, but also making sure that we remain integrous to the transformative power of what higher education can provide. Um, and so finding those balances, but being responsive in that. I think the other component to that is really bringing industry as a partner, not just for the sake of saying they're a partner, but really bringing them in to say we need help creating these learning experiences um, because a lot of our approaches I'm saying this with a broad brush has been a bit dated uh, from the the technology integrations to even thinking about um, how long it takes to achieve these credentials. I think we've had this historical mindset that it takes two and four and eight years to learn something. No, it doesn't. Industry has shown uh, that these micro credential pathways, you know, it, it may just be training someone over the course of two, three weeks, five weeks to be able to uh, assist them in not only meeting the workforce demands, but also ensuring a new pathway of earning potential for that individual and their family. And so now's the time. Now's the time for higher education. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where I was like mind melding with you at that original meeting is, um, you know, hearing what I'm hearing from the private sector, sometimes it doesn't match with what I hear from my friends in higher ed, in, in traditional institutions of higher ed. Um, and serving on the 1330 task force for me was really eye-opening because what I had to do was actually spend more time with the folks at Cobert from the private ed so I could better represent their interests. And I heard three themes and you kind of touched on all of them. I heard speed, relevancy, and ROI. And to some degree, there might be a mismatch of of things that are happening, they don't know that that are happening, which is why, you know, I wanted to interview you today, because I think when they hear your remarks, they'll think, oh, yeah, yeah, we're hearing speed relevancy ROI, because they are desperate to get workforce in. So it's exciting what you're what you're working on, because I think what you're trying to tell the private sector is, look, uh, here's what's happening. There's good stuff happening. And uh, you're an example of that. Well, thank you. I, I will tell you this. It was it was impossible to do this work without supportive faculty and instructors and staff because I can't do the work alone. But I, I think that one of the things I made sure to do as president coming in at CCA was we looked at some very hard data, uh, not only headcount, but taking a look at persistence and retention rates, but also talking to industry and asking the question, what we're offering, what we're teaching and the manner in which we're teaching, is it relevant to what your needs are today? And I think that truly, as a body of educators, and I stand by this comment, asking whether or not our works are relevant, for some they find highly effective 
expensive, but it's a question that has to be asked because industry understands if you lose relevance, you lose market share, you 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 lose an organization, a business, and and and, and they're on to the next disruption. And so in higher education, somehow, some way, we never adopted that mindset that somehow we could be irrelevant in what it is that we provide and how we provide it. And so I think now's the time where there's a level of acumen that must be brought into the academy to say we need to be responsive. Our students need to feel that there's a strong return on that investment. We have to be willing to ask if what we're doing is relevant. And if not, it's adding no value. So then the question truly is in a spirit of integrity, why are we doing it? Well, and I think all these questions aren't anti-traditional higher ed. They're all very much pro-traditional higher ed, Absolutely. don't you think? Absolutely. Like, let's, let's protect what's good and grow more of that, you know, is is kind of the cool thing. But disruption, um, to me, I've always been an okay with kind of the disruption mentality because I think change tends to, um, we're going to have change either way. Let's be a part of like the change and and the and um, the collaboration that's going forward. So I could just chat with you all day on this, but I also want to ask you, speaking of um, change and big change for you, um, I got to be at the groundbreaking, but tell, tell again for the employers who are listening, I want them to hear more about your state-of-the-art um, STEM, power mechanics and applied technology building. What will that do? How's that coming? How was that put together? How do you see that being a big provider, um, you know, of talent in Colorado and just talent, Dr. Mordecai, I think you and I are on the same page too. Like we're talking about lives changed. Yes. So this is the ability to change lives of the students, you know, who, who go through this program, who can now, um, you know, access these high, high paying STEM jobs. Tell us more about your vision for that. Yeah, so this, this new STEM Power Mechanic Applied Technology Building is uh, in STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Several components there that I'll do my best to unpack very quickly. One of that being is that we understand that we need to create the kind of state of art facility that will promote not only the micro credentials that you your listeners heard me talking about earlier, but also the more traditional pathways towards employability and transferability, which is a part of our mission statement. So the STEM portion of this building, what will be housing, I'm very also proud to share that we have three new degrees that we've now been approved by our accreditation body that will also be educated inside of this building. And these are new engineering pathways. So getting into engineering, taking a look at clean energy, looking at the new legislation that's been coming about here in the state of Colorado. We want to be a part of that movement. Um, two key areas that we're paying attention to, not only for the sake of the building, but just in higher education, is energy, shifts in energy, um, and how, how the workforce has to be prepared to meet the new energy needs. Also taking a look at transportation. So this is the power mechanic portion. Uh, because not only do you have the diesel component, but you also have hybrid and clean technology within this. So that also will be met uh, there. Also taking a look at the uh, pathways of workforce. How can we create uh, these innovation labs and spaces where we're able to work more into manufacturing, uh, upskilling individuals very quickly in the marketplace to be able to do this work, but also taking a look at the scientists, uh, bio, chem, uh, chemistry for us continues to be strong pathways that our students are very interested in. And as we think about the shifts between humanization and automation, 
Uh, and you heard me earlier say that we serve the most diverse, we're the most diverse college in the state of Colorado. We have a responsibility then to have the kind of labs and spaces to where we can help close this equity gap of attainment for students of color, first generation students, uh, immigrant families to be able to realize the dream of America uh, through higher education. And so this building will answer all of those those opportunities and do so in a cool fashion uh, and to be able to create a gamut of opportunity of option uh, where there are synergies, uh, short term, more traditional pathways, all, all that will be provided. In terms of answering your question about uh, where are we with the project? Matter of fact, this Thursday, uh, well, I'm saying this Thursday, but I'll just say the week of, uh, of April 10th, uh, we'll be going to the state capitol on this Thursday, receiving the remaining spending authority, which will go forth for financing, because this is a large project, over 50,000 square feet. So we want to make sure we have all clearances. We're already have done a lot of the prep work on the ground, and we can't wait to put a uh, shovel in the ground this summer. Mm, that's exciting. Well, hopefully there'll be another ceremony where you bring uh, you bring, bring us all a shovel. Uh, we can help do some digging for you. Um, how do how do you want the private sector to lean in? You know, let's let's talk money. Maybe it's a donation piece. You know, what what do you need from from us? I think it's a lot of reverse engineering, and so I will refer to the three key partners that have been at the table with this new building: Oakwood Homes, Pat Ham, Strong. Uh, Academy, great partners. I also have to brag on TransWest and Wagner Equipment. When I talk about reverse engineering, it's saying, okay, what are you all seeing in the field right now? What is industry saying that it needs in terms of skill sets, workforce needs, outcomes that you all are seeing? And then we come to the table and we formulate this curriculum together and then we reverse engineer it for the classroom. I think that that's the ideal response that I can provide you, David, to say to all industry partners, we understand that there is a need to bring increased relevance to the learning experiences because it makes uh, it adds no value to industry or the individual to be trained on dated equipment or dated approaches. Yes, it provides a bit of a historical framework, which is is valuing. However, it means nothing if that individual can't answer the right questions on that interview and score that matrix for the hiring uh, process uh, in a better fashion than they would otherwise without the education. So that's part of the responsibility component. So industry, we, anything that can create social economic mobility within what we provide as a synergy of academic programs, we want to partner with you all and be a part of that change, not only for your organization, but for our students. Yeah, perfect. Let's let's talk big picture before we close. Um, and then I think I warned you, we have a little bit of a, a little bit of a lightning round at the end. But I'm going to ask you one more education question. You are in a unique position leading the Community College of Aurora, but you also have a lens that's bigger. I think you you keep your eye on trends that are going on nationally, probably globally. What what do you think is next for higher ed? What would you um, how would you encourage us today? that higher ed kind of big picture, whether it's, um, you know, themes of maximizing human potential, you know, untraditional talent producers. I'd just be curious on what you might see as trends that would be things to watch. You know, I talked about this in my latest article through Ed Surge, um, and it says the power of micro-credentials and the dilemma it is causing uh, with the American higher education system. Um, there's a statistic out there through Forbes that just blew my mind that says that every unemployed uh, individual right now in the United States filled a job, there would still be 4 million vacancies. And you got to unpack and really reflect on what that means. So the demographic shifts that are occurring in this country, um, 
have to be paid attention to. And I think that when the 2020 census data came out, not many people were paying attention to it because we were trying to stay alive during the pandemic itself. So now that we've moved beyond the pandemic and now we're taking a look more at these data points, I was just at the Denver South meeting uh, in, Lone, in Lone Tree uh, there with the city of Centennial and we're looking at all this data and it's just baffling to look at the net migration decline that's happening in the state of Colorado, taking a look at the workforce demand needs and asking what is higher education doing to meet that need. So I think that what's on the horizon, I would answer that by saying the need for more micro-credentials, but also understanding that in the more traditional pathways, we also are going to have to take a look at the, the models that we believe that were necessary and how we obtain the learning outcomes in this space. Is it still relevant for today? Is there a way to do this more streamlined to still get to the transformative outcomes that these students need, but that workforce partners need? Because the automation and humanization I won't call it a war, but I will call it a dichotomy of sorts. Uh, what man can't fulfill, AI, artificial intelligence will. So then as we think about what does this mean for the future of our country and its workforce, well, we want to make sure that social and economic mobility is remaining strong, if not growing, uh, and that middle class America is growing in the midst of inflation. So we've got some work to do collectively then to close this gap on how we have a trained workforce and the amount of a trained workforce that we need and have. Because in Colorado, while we are highly educated, if you unpack that data, it is from people that are migrating into the state, like myself, not necessarily native Colorado. So I think that we all have a responsibility then the native Colorado to make sure that they are obtaining these high school and uh, higher education credentials. Yeah, well said. I think when we talk about it with our board and with our partners, it's, you know, eliminating as best we can barriers to opportunity and creating additional paths to opportunity. And like you said, I think Colorado, um, you know, we do so many things right, but sometimes uh, looking at our own workforce and training our own workforce here, our own talent is a little bit tricky. So I um, appreciate your leadership here in Colorado, Dr. Mordecai. Uh, it's been so fun to get to know you and to, and to watch what you're doing to help benefit the lives of your students. And, and frankly, um, good leadership is infectious. You know, when, we, when we're willing to say big things and have big dreams, it's infectious. And, and I wanted to let you know that that's how I feel about what I'm seeing out of the Community College of Aurora. So thank you for that. We appreciate you. Um, quick lightning round before I let you go. I know you got a lot of things to do, but this is kind of a fun thing we added. It's a way to get to know you. How about your favorite binge? Could be a book, a podcast, a Netflix series. I love walk, watching The Walking Dead on AMC. It's something about that show. It, I love it. <laughs> that's so old school. <laughs> I want to thank you for like a Ted Lasso guy, but that's always fun to know. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic. Okay, last one is what is the best advice you've ever received to help you get a seat at the table? Manage your life like a business. And, and that that's something my mother told me. And the older I've gotten, the more I understand the power behind that simple statement. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks again, Dr. Mordecai, for joining us. I appreciate you and look forward to continuing our collaboration and, and work together here in Colorado. Indeed, my friend. Take care. Thank you. And thanks everyone for joining us today. This has been A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown, brought to you by Colorado Business Roundtable. A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown is a production of the Colorado Business Roundtable. You can find this episode, a listing of our upcoming events, and more information about our organization at cobrt.com.